Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Derek the Douche's podcast. This is episode five, titled Movies. Today, I'd like to add in that um, this is the first time I tried to even write kind of notes. Now, that doesn't mean that that this is going to be a put-together podcast by any means. That does not mean that I'm going to not sit here and stutter, stumble, and stamble on Almost everything I say, as I just did. So, let's continue. Now, today, the movie we have playing in the background, production value cue, please. Tell me that noise doesn't bring back some nostalgia. So today's movie in the background, if you can hear it, if you can't, that's probably a good thing, is Die Hard. That is the original Die Hard. That is probably one of the unspoken Christmas movies, one of the best unspoken Christmas movies ever made in existence. That means that it's better than every official Christmas movie officially made as well. So, let's jump right into it. See, when I watch movies such as movies like Die Hard that I've seen countless times as I'm sure many of you have seen this movie and I'm sure many of you have seen a movie in general countless times Uh, hopefully this podcast will make it a little bit fun for you to go back and watch some of these movies now no one really commented out commented back got back to me rather so I only have one or two movies for this this one this time I'm I'm gonna do more movies next time because I actually was looking forward to doing this the whole time so, the first movie that was brought to my attention was a movie called, if I'm not mistaken, Just Like Heaven. It's, uh, it's about a movie, it's a movie, no, it's not about a movie, like I said, just because I had some notes does not mean that I am going to be doing all that well. But the movie, from what I understand and read about it, is just kind of like a love story. Not really my type of movie, but it's got to be other people's types of movies. So some of the things I learned about this movie while researching it was that there was a lot of shenanigans on set. So things like the actor Mark Ruffalo, for instance, he liked to joke around a lot, apparently. And one of the things he would do when he would joke around was he would play pranks on directors actresses other actors now one of the pranks he played was uh he would jump out of the movie on on the set i'm sorry he would jump out of the window of the movie on set so at this time he actually kind of thought that there was like a cushion that he'd fall on beneath beneath the window he was jumping out of but there wasn't so the director knew this the director knew Mark didn't know this. So when Mark played this joke on the director, I don't know the setup of it, but basically they were having a conversation, the director, Mark, and the main actress, and out of nowhere, Mark gets eccentric, and he he says one of his lines and jumps out the window. And when he jumps out the window, <laughs> you know he knew he was going to do this. Nobody else knew he was going to do this. The director knew, though, because he just had walked in on set that there was nothing out there to catch him, that he was fucked. So he jumped probably about a story out the window and sprained his ankle. (laughs) I guess the joke was on him. 
So there's other cool little things, little goofs in the movie, little tidbits and little facts. Like I guess um, the wedding that Dave, that's the character Mark Ruffalo played, is watching when he first encounters Elizabeth, um, Reese's character, is actually one of the assistant's filmmakers, one of the assistants of the main filmmaker's actual wedding uh, tape. So that was a real tape that was somebody on set who said, hey, let me bring this in and give you guys something to use for the movies. So that's kind of interesting. So now you know when you go back and watch that scene, that's an actual wedding taken from a assistant of one of the from from an assistant from one of the filmmakers of that film. Let's see what else do we have here. Hmm. Let's see. Apparently, except for five days of photography outside of the movie, Reese Witherspoon was wearing was seen to have worn the same outfit. The entire shoot on set, meaning she didn't change at all. So every day that she went in, she wore the same exact thing. I'm sure they had duplicates. You know, they probably had extra shirts, extra pants, and whatnot. But, you know, then again, who knows? Some people are method actors. And a lot of people like Daniel Day-Lewis, who who is a method actor, will actually not break character until he is done shooting the movie. Which can be very, very interesting. So, for instance, like a little side fact about uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, besides that he is one of God's best creations when it comes to acting. Um, when he did the role for The Butcher, right, in that Gangs of New York movie, supposedly he stayed on set the entire movie shoot. He didn't uh, shower. He didn't brush his teeth. He didn't wear deodorant. Um, and he just kind of stayed in that Butcher Bill's persona the whole time, or whatever the main character's name was. I don't think it was Butcher Bill, but I know he was a butcher, so don't quote me on the character name there. But, yeah, he is a method actor. So is Jim Carrey. He's really fun to watch. People, uh, method actors are really fun to watch because they take their role very seriously. What they do is they immerse themselves into the role. They they do their best to the, to become that person, to uh, become the role. So you'll have some actors like... Um, you know, Heath Ledger did this too. A lot of people love Heath Ledger and said he was one of the best joke. Actually, said he is the best Joker to ever do it. Now, Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger is a method actor. So what he did was he said, "Okay, let me do some research on the Joker." He did some research on the Joker and said, and came to the realization that you know this guy is probably really depressed. He's uh, he's manic, right? He said he has psychotic breaks. He's kind of loony. He's kind of crazy. So what he did to kind of personify that, to get his mind in that mental state, was he did a lot more drugs. And it wasn't, wouldn't say he was drug, abu drug abuse per se, but he knew what he needed to do to get into a certain state of mind in order to play a character that he needed to portray. And he did an amazing job, ended up winning an Oscar. Sadly, it was costed, ended up costing him his life because he, he carried that problem on over to his next film, Dr. Panazaris, which actually ended up being a great film. And uh, the three main actors, Colin Farrell, Johnny Depp, I think, and one other person stepped in to fill the shoes um, to finish the whole movie. Um, I guess before Heath Ledger died, he shot two-thirds of the movie. And uh, 
the actors that stepped in to finish the rest of the movie didn't even take a paycheck, and I believe they actually donated whatever money they would have made to some kind of foundation or to his uh, family, like his kids and stuff like that. So, you know, sometimes actors can really come together when they're not being political and do really positive things for one another, and it's really, uh, it's really eye-opening and it's really uplifting to kind of hear something like that, you know? But back to this movie, I'm sorry for the person that I'm doing this for, Karen. I know I'm doing this one for you and I'm kind of going off topic, so I apologize. Let me get back on topic here. Some of the other kind of cool little trivia, some of the trivia about this movie also is um, the name of the movie comes from... Oh, okay. The name of the song comes from an album by the band The Cure called Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. So that's interesting. They got the name of this movie from an album put out by The Cure called Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. That's interesting. When Dave first visits Elizabeth, it's actually Elizabeth's body double. So Reese Witherspoon apparently wasn't on set that day and couldn't shoot that scene, so her body double stepped in. So she was, that's not even her that you've seen in the movie. That's interesting. Hmm. Let's see. What other random notes do I have here? Uh, uh, that's interesting. So apparently the apartment building that they were... I'm sorry for the um, moments of silence there. i got to find where I am in my notes and read them out to you guys. This is why I don't like doing the whole notes thing. I like to do it kind of off the top of my head because it's more genuine notes. It's a lot harder for me to talk about things because I have to, one, read what I wrote. <laughs> if you guys could see this, it's worse than chicken scratch. So bear with me. One second. So where was I? Okay. Reese's apartment was built on a stage with CGI. And they added the San Francisco skyline, which makes absolutely no sense. They could have literally just went on site somewhere and saved a lot of money, but instead they decided to build things and shoot with CGI. Makes the movie kind of lazy, if you ask me. So, some of the goofs in this movie that I'm reading. Apparently, this, this main character, the lady's dead. Her name is Elizabeth, and she's transparent. But, at some point in the movie... Granted, she's a ghost. She can be seen giving off shadows, you know, when she's seen on the roof or on the street. Hmm, that's interesting. And a couple of scenes, too, where you see Dave and the main character, Elizabeth. Some of the days he's seen Scruffy. Or some of the scenes he's seen Scruffy, and in the same scene, or rather a different scene, but that's supposed to be shot within that same day, he has like a 5 o'clock shadow. Meaning that they shot one scene on, say, day 1, and then that part of the scene where he's Scruffy on, say, day 17. So they must have been having problems doing that scene, so they had to do it in uh, smaller shoots and then cut them in together. That's what that tells you. Um, after talking to Elizabeth in the building, ask, uh, okay, I'm sorry, after him, I guess apparently there's a scene where Dave goes around the entire building asking if they know Elizabeth, um, and 
they say they don't know her, but yet the reflection of her can be seen on the fridge. Apparently she was hanging out with that lady inside the apartment, so maybe the main character was kind of being creepy and uh, going around asking, like, you know, hey, who is this chick? I want to be super creepy and get some info on her because there's no Facebook yet, right? I don't know, so... So yeah, that's that's all I got for Just Like Heaven. Again, it's not a movie I've seen, so it's not something I could really, I really put that much detail in. I really apologize, actually, Corinne, for doing that to you, because you're the first person who's reached out to me, and I did a terrible job on your movie. But uh, you know, hey, what can you do? <laughs> but. Let's kind of jump into the movie that I'm watching now. Okay, so let's move over to the uh, movie that I'm watching right now. That's Die Hard with a Vengeance. Like I said, this is the unofficial Christmas movie that if it's Christmas, it's on every single station somewhere, right? It's always on at Christmas time because it is a Christmas movie because it takes place during Christmas. Granted, some people say it's not a Christmas movie. I am not here to argue that. I am here simply to talk about this movie. This movie might be a little bit easier for me to talk about considering it's playing in the background. And I really like this movie and I've watched it. So let's start off with the fact that Bruce Willis is the, is the man. He is a great actor. Um, there's really not many actors who have had such a solid career from start to finish. He's not like Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is an amazing actor as well. But as he got older, his career started dwindling down. Now he puts out about, fuck, 52 movies a year. <laughs> it's almost like a movie a week, it seems like. Anyway, so today, Bruce Willis and Nakatomi Towers. What could he get into? He went there to see his wife, but yet he falls into this big terrorist plot. Huh, I wonder why that is. So, now... At the time, this movie came out in 1988. Let that sink in. This is when Bruce Willis had hair. And I mean hair. I mean, he wasn't even going bald. I'm looking at the screen right now, and this guy, I mean, he's got a good hairline. He's got a good th thick head of hair. This is an 88. Wow. All right. Well, in 88, I guess at the time, he was received, he received for this movie Five million dollars. It was approved by the president of Fox. His name was Rupert Murdoch. And I feel like that name was... I think that dude did some real shady shit. We'll get into that a different time. Anyway. So at the time, five million dollars, though, for a movie role was astronomical. It was a lot. And it was 1988. It was a different time then. Let's see. Okay, what else? What other kind of trivia is there? Let's see, what am I reading here? Okay, the fictional Nakatomi Plaza is the headquarters of 20th Century Fox. Bet you didn't know that. The company charged itself rent for the use of, of it. Then, <laughs> oh my God, can you believe it? They, ch wow. So the fictional Nakatomi Plaza is the headquarters of 20th Century Fox. The company charged itself rent for the use of the then unfinished building. Which means that they paid themselves to <laughs> they build themselves. Oh my God, it's great! They paid themselves to film the movie in their 
in their movie. Wow, that's that's really smart. Wow, okay. It's, Jesus Christ. Let's see. In an article for the 30th anniversary of Die Hard, Bonnie Bedella st- stated that, oh, of course this thing would just randomly fuck up on me, because why, why wouldn't it? Randomly stated that. The first thing she thinks of when she meets someone mentions Die Hard is Alan Rinkman. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, here it is. The first thing that Bonnie... Bella De- Della stated that the first thing she thinks of when someone mentions Die Hard is Alan Rickman. The two became friends and had lunch together every day while shooting the movie. She expressed how lovely and gentle Rickman was in real life. So Alan Rickman, guys, if you don't recognize him by name, that is um, Snape. Professor Snape from Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Everyone loves Harry Potter. Come on. Fuck out of here. If you don't like some Harry Potter, you're, you're a widow. Even, I'm 30 years old. I mean, come on. Even I like Harry. Harry Potter. People used to make fun of me because I had glasses and I have a big nose and I kind of look like Daniel Radcliffe. And yeah, so people used to call me Harry Potter, but that's a whole different thing. When I need therapy, I'll talk to you guys about that. <laughs> anyway, so the guy who buys um, Bruce Willis's wife, that nice Rolex, that douchebag, right? He, he uh, plays heart. Boncher, right? His line when he's talking to Hans and he goes, Hans, Bobby, was ad-libbed. And Alan Rickman's reaction, his quizzical reaction where he's like, huh? It was real. It was real. It was genuine. He didn't expect it. So let's see what else. The scene where Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman meet up was unrehearsed to create a greater feeling of spontaneity. Spontaneity, sorry, between the two actors. Wow, we're also learning my intelligence because I'm doing terrible with reading today. Hooked on phonics did not work for me. <laughs> no, really, it didn't because I'm doing terrible right now. But, yeah, so Alan Rickman, man, he's such a great actor. And uh, that, that doesn't surprise me that they did this just to make it more of a genuine scene. Um, let's see, what else is there? Wow, that's funny. The costume part department had 17 undershirts in various stages of degradation. Sorry. I was doing the pretty funny part of the scene. Anyway, so they had 17 different shirts all degraded in different stages so that he could wear them throughout the film. That's kind of cool. That's kind of funny, too. Hmm. Let's see... Well, this is an interesting one. When the police dispatcher tells Sergeant Powell to investigate the Nakatomi building, she tells him it is a code two, quote-unquote. This refers to an urgent incident where sirens are not to be used. Hmm. So there you guys go. Much of the script was improvised due to the constant screenplay tweaks that were being made during filming. So... Uh, improvise just basically means that they made up a lot of the dialogue so they had dialogue for particular scenes and then new scenes had to be made on you know on set and they didn't have time to do rewrites so they would leave it up to the actor or actresses to kind of put in their own lines and a lot of times it works Uh, a lot of the times actually is that's where a lot of comedy really does come from is from um, characters ad-libbing or actors or actresses ad-libbing in the words. Um, in the making of the featurette, director 
the director of the movie, revealed that a majority of the exterior shots of the building showing explosions were in fact real. Full-scale explosions set off in and around the actual building. That's amazing. On Alan Rickman's first day of shooting, he filmed the scene where Hans Gruber first runs into John McLean. He made a jump off the ledge about three feet high. He injured himself when he landed and damaged some cartilage in his knee. He was told by his doctor not to put any weight on that leg, and he had to use crutches for a week. For the rest of the scene, where Hans Gruber is standing and talking to John McLean, Alan Rickman is standing on one leg the entire time and has a leg brace under his pants. Wow. See? The dedication we do. But the fact that... This reads and tells me he made a jump off a ledge three feet high. He jumped off a ledge three feet high and got injured. This motherfucker never did a push-up in his life. That's one thing with uh, act, like certain actors who don't do stunts and then try to do their own quote-unquote air quote stunts. I mean, jumping three feet is not a stunt in my opinion. Um, they injure themselves because, I mean, they're not idiots, but they just, they, they're, they don't, they've never done nothing. You know, this guy was in drama class, so you know he was getting pinged in the face with dodgeballs. <laughs> you know what I mean? He wasn't picked first to play basketball. So we're dealing with people like that sometimes. Other times you have a guy like Chris Hemsworth, who's a fucking absolute beast and was probably a tremendous athlete. So it doesn't always stay the same. <clears throat> Let's see. What else do we got here? Hmm, ironically, this is actually very interesting. Bruce Willis sneered, was sneered at for being an all-American hero by the head German terrorists. Is actually more because the head German terrorist is actually more German than most of the villains. Alan Rickman was English and Alexander Gundorf was Russian. Bruce Willis was born March nineteenth, nineteen fifty-five. Wait for it, guys, in West Germany. To an American father and a German mother. This I did not know. This is brand new. I learned this just now. Wow. Okay. I did not know that. So the guy who wrote this, I mean, I'm not blaming him because obviously I suck at reading too, but he kind of messed up the words. But it says, ironically, Bruce Willis sneered at for being an all-American hero by the head German terrorist is actually more German than most of the, the villains. So that's interesting. I didn't realize that. So, hmm. And we're over there saying that. I didn't know that. Wow. Motherfucker. It's German. Wow. Anyway, let's move on. I'm, I was trying to do this podcast. I didn't want to do a long podcast on you guys. Because, you know, my intention span isn't the best. So I can't imagine other people's. And every time I try to scroll down. This is why this pauses sometimes, guys. Is I'm scrolling down. And then it's bringing me to a different screen. So I got to go back to that screen. And then I got to locate where the last piece of the trivia was. And oh, this one's going to be. Ah, oh, okay. All right. So the line, yippee ki yay, motherfucker, <laughs> is used in all five Die Hard movies. That's awesome. All of them. That's right. You'll hear them in every single one. Except, well, not except. On the Live Free or Die Hard one. The gunshot masks the fucker. So you'll hear, yippee mother, and then pa-pow, you'll hear a gunshot. Right? I'm sure gunshots sound like kapow, right? Like, who knows? I don't know. I'm, a, I'm not a fucking gun guy. I don't shoot guns. I love guns. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't know shit about them. Um, I went shooting when I was like 12 with my grandpa before he passed away. Rest, rest in peace, grandpa. Love you and miss you so much every day. 
Um, but he's the only one who's ever taken me to shoot a gun. Anyway, um, and that was when I was 12, I am now 30. But I did good, uh, you know, considering. I did alright. Let's see. Oh my god, stop zooming in. Uh, now I feel like I'm 90 trying to zoom in just to read. You guys are like, probably thinking, you suck at reading, Derek. You couldn't read. Ah, it's doing it to me again! But you know what? This is part of it, man. This is part of doing a live pod, well, a live podcast with no edits. But this is much better than trying to read my notes, because I couldn't read those fucking notes, man, to save my life. Oh, wow. So, interestingly enough, Bruce Willis and Reginald Vel Johnson, the guy who played uh, his off his buddy, his the, the buddy cop, um, who was nice to him, um... I guess in real life, as in the film, they didn't even meet until the end of the movie. So that's interesting, too. So I'd be willing to bet when they met face-to-face, that genuine reaction was a real reaction. Um, Let's see. While making this film, cinematographer... (laughs) Cinematographer. I should not try to read that. John Day Bont got trapped in a lift. This later gave him inspiration for the opening scene of Speed in 1994, which he directed. I can make my own sounds. This one's awesome. What? All right, all right, all right. Ready? Ready for this one, guys? Clint Eastwood originally owned the rights to the novel Nothing Lasts Forever, on which the film is based on, and planned to star in the film around the early 1980s. Now... Don't get me wrong. I love me some fucking... I love me some Clint Eastwood, man. I mean, like... You feel lucky, punk? Do ya? I love fucking Clint Eastwood, man. That guy's a motherfucking G, son! Literally OG. Literally. He's the shit. He is the fucking shit. He might be... Well, no, Betty White. Betty White's older than fucking one... Betty White is older than sliced bread. Look that shit up. You're welcome. Mind fucking blown, right? Yep. Let's see. There's a whole bunch on here, man, for trivia. I fucking love this movie. Um, I'm just trying to look for kind of interesting ones. Because there's some on here that they're like, eh. After seeing the movie Heart Like a Wheel, Bruce Willis loved Bonnie Beldella's performance in the, that film. He personally recommended her to play his estranged wife. So that's how that chick landed. Oh, that don't even make sense. I don't even see how that goes with this movie. That makes no sense to this movie. Why is that here? Anyway, people make mistakes. In 2007, Bruce Willis donated John McLean's undershirt to the Smithsonian Museum. (laughs) That's fucking boss. Dude, what a boss. Oh, my God. Hmm, let's see. Let's see, let's see, let's see. <clears throat> the officers' interiors were designed to resemble falling water, a house designed by an architect, Frank Lloyd White. The office interiors, I'm sorry, I said officer. The office interiors were designed to resemble falling water, a house designed by architect Frank Lloyd Wright, is how it should have read. Wow, man, I'm really showing how stupid I am tonight. But guys, like, if you saw where I was reading from and like how small it is... It, it kind of still, I still suck. 
<laughs> I'm just trying to make excuses for sucking at life. <clears throat> oh no, he coughed. That's not a corona cough, that's a blunt cough. Don't worry, guys. Drink some water and clear my throat up. Or as some people say, take the dick out of your mouth when you speak to me. <laughs> Fucking losers. All right. Bruce Willis is left-handed, therefore John McClane is betrayed as being left-handed. The Beretta 92F used in the film was modified to better accommodate Will uh, Willis's being a southpaw. Oh, also a fun fact about um, about the fact that they did this thing about the gun for him. They didn't like this. So when they shoot guns, right, in most movies... This is why I say most, and I can't speak for movies past this one. They probably do it now as well for the ones after this. Like, John Wick definitely does this. But anyway, so they used pre-recorded sounds. So they, in the past, from the 50s or the 20s or 30s, whenever they recorded the first, have a gunshot from a 22, a 38, you know, a fucking 357, a .30-06, a regular rifle, uh, you know, just all, a 50 cal, a 44. Like, all these random guns, all right? Shotguns, um, grenade blasts, random, uh, you know, what dynamite sounds. And they have all these recordings. But this one said, you know what? Those were all recorded on a later model of recording piece of equipment. Uh, now we have newer equipment. Let's make newer recordings. So they actually took every single gun that you see that they used, real, the real version of it instead of the movie version, because the movie versions are modified to only fire blanks, and the um, so so whatever whatever they use in the movies, they actually went and got real guns. They took to a shooting range and recorded the sounds of every single gun. So every single gun you see, your hearing being shot or see being shot, is uh, what that gun actually sounds like. Uh, maybe they no, they probably didn't drop any noise decibels for for us. It's all what it sounds like. Which is awesome. Um, at 131 minutes, this is the longest Die Hard movie of the tr series. Um, oh, all right. The LAPD officer who gives medical attention to Sergeant Powell following his car being shot up is actor Anthony Peck, who also plays NYPD detective Ricky Walsh in Die Hard with a Vengeance 1995. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Hmm. Oh, this one's going to be kind of interesting. This one's a long one. But this is what I mean. They have a bunch of long ones that aren't interesting. Um, after this one, I'm going to go on to Goose because there's literally another 300 I can read. No, not literally. There's literally, actually, if you want to be technical, 152 more. But I'm not going to read you guys 152 more. You guys have things to do today, and I got one more movie I want to talk about, which is Gladiator. So, wait a sec. So anyway, um, oh, this is awesome. The character of Hans Gruber is rumored to be based on the author's, the author, Roderick Thorpe's father, a known tyrant amongst friends and family. And that's fucked up, man. Let's see, I'm going to read like two more of these, and then I'm going to go on to goofs. Hmm. Oh, Easter egg. Here you guys go. These, this is what I mean. This is what makes the shit cool. Easter egg. On disc two of the two-disc DVD, the special features disc from the first selection of the menu push right on the remote control. 
and a dot on the top of the menu, which, resemble, which resembles the rooftop of the Nakatomi building, will light up. Select it. The menu <laughs> will explode. And the words, there goes Fox Home Entertainment, will appear when the explosion clears. That shit's dope as fuck. How many people... I mean, hopefully, if someone's... I mean, in the world, though. I bet, I bet you, like, if you put... 500 people who own that DVD two-disc set that they're talking about, I would be willing to bet none of them know about that. Maybe one. And I would even say, I would actually say none, because they, why would, how would they know to do that? They wouldn't know to do that. They wouldn't know. So Sam Neill turned down the role of Hans Gruber. Um... That really is Bruce Willis, Willis riding on top of the elevator. Um, let's see. Let's try to find short, quick ones for you guys. Um, that's just that's. This is like a goof, but it's that's too that's too detailed in my opinion. But um, though Henchrich. Hench is supposedly German. The cigarettes John McLean picks up in his pockets are French-made Galusies. Uh Fittingly, they used to be army-issued and are known for their strong, harsh taste. Like, that's just a little... That's just, like, someone paying attention too much. That's ridiculous. Like, they probably had to stop and press pause on the movie to see that shit and then look it up, and that's just too much research. Right now, the scene in the movie. Try to turn it up a little bit. We'll get you guys down. Let's see, let's see. Lost the shoes. He's in the pot where they're still doing construction. He's calling himself an asshole. Um. Oh, he's about to pull the fire alarm. So he pulled the fire alarm on thirty-two. We got a fire alarm on thirty-two. And they're about to go up there. So I'm gonna turn that down a little bit because I don't want this to. You know, get in the way of this podcast. A full 18 minutes elapsed before the movie's first gunshot. Michael Madison was considered for the role of John McLean. Sorry, I burped. Um, In the shootout near the middle, Hans says to kill Carl... And then it says something in fucking German. I don't know. I can't. I'm not even going to try that. Which translates to shoot the window. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll try to say it. Fuck it. Shab das fastna. Shab das fastna. Shab das fastna. I don't know. Something like that. The movie title in Portugal is Assalto Ao Aranasas. Cios, I don't fucking know. I'm not no more than me trying to pronounce that shit. I ain't playing around with that. Wow. Okay. Die Hard is the second movie that Alexander Gundorf starred in that ends in Beethoven's Ode to Joy. The first was The Money Pit in 1986. All right, now what I'm going to actually try to do, guys, for you, I'm going to look up, I want to see if I can find, um, goofs, not goofs, those were goofs. No, no, those were trivia, that was trivia, that was just random trivia. Now what I want to try to give you guys is goofs, meaning, uh, can you see equipment, 
which I think is kind of interesting. Because if you watch the movie um, Mad Max, I think it's not it's not the first Mad Max, not the 1979. I think it's Beyond the Thunderdome. I think it's that one. They do a um, car chase. And when they do a car chase, um, they rip the door off of the car that he's driving. You can actually clear his day, see the cameraman laying in the back seat just filming it. It's fucking make it's so awesome when you watch the movies and see that. So I'm gonna try to get into the goofs and see if I can't find you some uh equipment maybe that you can see. Um let's see. Alright. Some Alright, well that's that's hard to see, but I guess some unsynchronized audio and visual things, something like uh during the shoot, the glass scene, uh the which is like when Hans tells them to shoot the glass because that's he, he realizes that the uh, cop's not wearing shoes. Um says shoot the glass. The muzzle flashes frequently do not match up with the sounds of the gunfire. Um, when the terrorist car first pull up in the Nakatomi Plaza, the noise from the brakes is not consistent with the movement of the vehicle. Um, when Tagi Takahagi speaks to employees at the party, they interrupt in loud applause, looking at the employees. None are clapping their hands. <laughs> like, what the fuck? That's, that's a big one. That's like, der. So, yeah, let me re-say that. When Takahagi speaks the, to the employees at the party, they erupt in a loud applause, looking back at the employees, none are clapping their hands. Fucking schmucks. What schmucks? How do you fuck that up? Huh? How do you fuck that one up, guys? Um, okay, here's one. Here's one. When John is first chased by a terrorist up on the floor, still under construction, he turns on... And off a radial arm saw, the very distinct sound of the blade running against either a kerf in the fence or a kerf in the table can be heard. However, when the terrorist finds the saw, it can be clearly seen that the blade is running free. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, boom mic visible. Just after we first introduced to Johnson and Johnson, Hans is seen walking on the top floor in, on the top floor in, looking up. I'm sorry, I gotta zoom in, guys. All right, looking up and shining his flashlight in the forward tracking shot just before he climbs the wall. The shadow of the boom mic is visible just above his shadow on the far right of the screen. In the widescreen version of the film. Alright, so let me do that one again. Just after we are first introduced to Johnson & Johnson, Hans is seen walking on the top floor in. Looking up and shining his flashlight in the forward tracking shot. Just before he climbs the wall. The shadow of the boom mic is visible just above his shadow on the far right of the screen in the widescreen version of the film. Um... So there's some character errors, but eh, they're nothing. Um, they're nothing like crazy. Um, like this one, for instance. After Hans and Carl shoot out the glass, Carl's furious that McLean eluded him, whereas Carl should have actually been able to track down McLean easily by following the bloody footprints he would have left from the huge gashes in his feet. Like, duh. 
When the terrorists are first walking in as a group looking very serious and sinister, the one on the le far left is on a collision course with the wall. The camera cuts away just before he walks into it. <laughs> After Powell did his sweep at the Nakatomi building to report to report the quote-unquote wild goose chase, the dispatcher did not follow up proper procedure and respond to Powell's transmission. When Powell said everything here is okay, over dispatchers always have to echo the echo or respond to the last transmission, and they didn't. They just ignored him, probably because he was black. <laughs> oh my God, I'm joking. I'm just joking. It's a fucking joke. People don't get upset. I know how. I don't even care. I'm just shut the fuck up. Anyway, um, when Theo updates Hans on the police activity, reports that four assholes <laughs> are coming in the rear. <laughs> oh man, that's kind of funny. Uh, I'm sorry, coming in the rear. In uh, standard two by two co uh, cover formation, the SWAT team members are not in two by two cover. They're all running together, single file, more or less. So he lied to him. He's an he's an idiot. Um, Gruber says, "I'm not, I'm not doing that." Shoot the window in German. Um, it says it says the German word how to say it in quotes, but I'm not gonna try that. So uh, Gruber says, "Shoot the window." The correct German term would have been, "Oh, see, I shouldn't even have said anything." Zersisas das Fasna. All right, so Gruber says. Shus des fasna, which is supposed to mean shoot the window. The correct German term would have been zerzes das fasna. Zerzes das fasna. Zerzes das fasna. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. After John kills Henrich, Henrich, uh, he could have taken his shoes if they didn't fit. He could have tied Marco's shoes before throwing his body out the window. I'm sorry, he could have tried Marco's shoes before throwing him out the window. <laughs> he didn't think of that. When Deputy Police Chief Dwayne T. Robinson assumes the body f that fell out the window could be Suicide by a depressed stockbroker, quote-unquote. The assumption could easily be disputed by Powell because the stockbroker had multiple gunshots in his legs. <laughs> oh, what dummies. Alright, all of a sudden, this one's cool. Powell's cruiser suddenly has a roll cage when he's uh, fired on in the cruiser and drives off the wall. Um... The first and second rocket attacks both blow out the same window on the APC. Prior to climbing down on the on prior to climbing down an elevator shaft staircase, McLean, who is supposed to be barefoot, is clearly seen wearing shoes as he jumps through an elevator service door. <laughs> the first no, I just read that one. Uh, when Hans is pretending to be Bill Clay, his hairstyle keeps changing, which means that they kept doing different shoots, so he kept messing it up. John, uh, John Vest is white when he enters the vent system and dark green when he exits. This is not, as some think, a result of accumulated dirt. When John is in the elevator shaft listening to the terrorists speak, he writes their names down on his hand with a felt-tip pen. But the names disappear for the rest of the movie. 
He didn't even wash his hands. Uh, the wound on Sergeant Powell's forehead disappears once the FBI arrives. John's tank top changes from white to gray in various scenes throughout the movie. In the first close-up where Hans is hanging from Holly's wrist, there is blood on Holly's face from John's arm. In the second close-up, this blood is missing. I guess it just mysteriously vanished. See. Oh, crew or equipment visible. This is exactly what I wanted to see. Okay, so after the 911 call gets canceled, the guard goes to the 32nd floor where John is. When the guard turns on the lights, the camera crew is reflected in the window. Oh, shit's getting wild. I'm turning down just a little bit more. As John is fighting Carl towards the end of the movie, Carl's harness is clearly visible as he is dragged across the room by chains which are supposedly around his neck. At the end of the movie when McLean walks through the large hall where the hostages had been held captive earlier you can see a shadow of someone behind the Christmas tree just after the tree falls. When the APC blows up and you are viewing the outside view of the vehicle exploding you can clearly see a cameraman standing in the window where the rocket was shot from. Um, and the la and the last one is when Sergeant Powell asks the security guard, uh, the terrorist posing as a security guard, if he can take a look around the building at the counter Powell is leaning on, the reflection of a giant stage lamp can be seen. <laughs> uh, you know what? And that's about it. On a well, um. When Argyle rams his limousine into the broadside of an ambulance, you can see that the lettering contains a misspelled word. Instead of Los Angeles City Fire Department, the letter reads Los Angeles City to Fire Department. So the department's missing the T. Um, when John pulls the gun from his back and shoots Hans, the slide, the slide is in the out of ammo position i.e. all the way back and John then reshoots the guard <laughs> so he shoots him then he's out of he was out of bullets to begin with and he shot them both wow. I'm sure a lot of gun people will catch that so the slide I guess apparently when you shoot a gun the clip's expended there's no more bullets the slide stays back so apparently in that scene the slide was already all, was already drawn back. He shot Hans with it and was able to shoot the guard with a gun that was already empty. So that wraps up. That doesn't even come close to wrapping up Die Hard because like I said, there's still another 400 like pieces of information on the site that I have. I'm not going to say the site because I do my own research and I expect other people to do their own research. Um... <laughs> I'm not going to particularly be doing stuff like this, though, where I rely on uh, notes. I want to talk about things that I can remember because there's, it's not that I know it, but I remember it. You know what I mean? If I can remember it, I can talk about it better. I can sound... I don't even care if I sound intelligent, but I want to be able to sound like I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about something so that you guys actually want to listen to what I have to say. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, oh my god, I forgot, I was just saying, sorry, a bunch of people just hit me up, I had to press pause and tell them to relax for a second, because I'm trying to finish this, so, alright, I wanted to get back into Gladiator, I think this movie's awesome, um, 
there's not enough I can say about this movie either. This is already going on 47 minutes. And I, don't, I really didn't want to do this to you guys. I don't want to make you guys sit here and listen to something this long. Um, so, there's a bunch of alternate versions of this movie, Gladiator. Now, one of my favorite things about Gladiator is Russell Crowe. I have, I'm a big fan of Russell Crowe. I think he's an amazing actor. I think that you can... He's one of those actors that you can bank on whatever that you go and see from him. It's going to be good. If you can name, like, one bad movie... And I give everybody a break on bad movies as far as first movies, right? Your first couple movies, you're not... Maybe It's just like podcasts. It's just like anything you do. First couple of times you do it, maybe your first movies aren't the best. Like Jennifer Aniston, you know, her first movie appearance was, what her first movie role was, Leprechaun. Go back and watch Leprechaun. That's the youngest Jennifer Aniston you'll see on, on TV because that was her first movie. But anyway, let's get into Gladiator. This is getting too long. I want to I wanna wrap it up. So, trivia. Let's get right into the trivia of Gladiator. First off, Gladiator came out in, nine, in two th- the year 2000. I should know this. This is my favorite movie. Some of the main characters' stars are Russell Crowe, he plays Maximus. Joaquin Phoenix, he plays Commodus. You got Connie Nelson, Nielsen, sorry. Uh, she plays Lucia. Uh, Oliver Reed Proximo, who actually died during the filming of this movie. Uh, Dijon Hansu, that fucking famous black bald guy that everybody knows. Um, I can't pronounce his name, but he plays uh, Juba, right? And not Tyrese, not that black guy, the other famous actor. And no, not Ving Rhames, the other one. <laughs> I'm not racist, guys. It's the second time I said black guy with no contents. But you know what? If that's what you take from it, then that's what you want to take from it. Because I've said nothing wrong. And the fact that, and this is what I mean, the fact that I even have to say it like this because people are so sensitive that I can't just talk without having to worry about fucking being offensive... Jesus Christ. Anyway, so there's a lot of deleted scenes that were left out of this movie. Like a brief scene showing uh, Maximus surveying the cost of uh, the battle with the Germanians. Uh, they're hacked up and uh, dying Romanians everywhere. So like, there's cool like cutout scenes that you can kind of catch on the DVD. We won't get into that because you can just watch it. Um, but let's go, to, let's go to Goofs. Let's start off with Goofs. Let's start off with Goofs. So this, because Goofs are quicker, you can kind of bang that out real fast, and hopefully there's not that many, because uh, usually um, movies like this that have a lot of thought put into it, a lot of research put into it, and uh, it's made by a great director, so usually there's not too many mess-ups. But mess-ups can be anything as far as time period. Like you could say this guy lived from this time to that time. That could be considered a mess-up. Or, or a goof. I don't consider that a goof. No, you know what? It is a goof. No, it is. If we're being realistic, if I was a movie critic, it's a goof. I'm not a movie critic, though. I'm fucking Derek the Douche. And it's just what I do! <laughs> During the fight with the Tigers, Maximus falls over and rolls over, revealing uh, shorts. Lucia's shirts. So apparently he was wearing shorts and you fucking whales were trying to look up his shit and, and see his penis because apparently back then they didn't wear stuff underneath their, their gear. So, yeah, okay. I don't care about that. In the, uh, in the film, the shoots of Rome are very sandy. In reality, they were paved with stones. Uh, locks are portrayed in the movie when they were not invented yet. Um, 
Lucia's Lucia's contact lenses are visible in a close-up. That's fucking hilarious because there was no definitely no com- contacts. One Commodus is arguing with the senator. One of them suggests that there seems to be some problems with the plague, quote-unquote, in some neighborhood of Rome and that the emperor should think of some hygienic measures to solve this. In fact, at the time, there was no knowledge of the mechanic- mechanics of transmission of diseases in their relation to sanitary conditions. So they just try to use fucking stupid big words just to basically say that at that time they didn't they did not know that you could transmit diseases um, via not being sanitary because they're assholes, and that should be obvious. Um, let's see. Okay, during the battle with the Germans, Maximus is accompanied by his dog, a German shepherd. The very first German shepherd named Hector Linkschren, uh later changed to, oh, who cares, uh, was registered by, so, by the Society of the German Shepherd Dog in 1899. So I have no idea why that's even put up here. That's that, uh, I don't understand that. Anyway, I don't even know. Forget that one, guys. Sorry. Uh, okay. Boom Mike Visible. As the gladiators head for the entrance of the Colosseum floor to reenact the Battle of Carthage, the shadow of the boom mic is visible on the right of the screen during the shot showing Maximus heading, heading for the Colosseum entrance. Um, so yeah, like I said, there's not many... So I did it first. There's really not many goofs as far as equipment-wise. So they did really good. Um... When communists met the gladiators in the arena after the Battle of Carthage recreation, the gladiators all dropped their weapons, yet Maximus reveals himself a wide aerial shot of the arena shows there are no weapons at all lying on the gladiators' feet. gladiators' feet. Oh, my God. After Maximus stabs his opponent in the foot with the axe, a shot of his feet shows him falling, and the axe disappears in the Far shot, Maximus picks up the axe, which is on the ground between the guy, the other guy's foot, other guy's feet. So that's weird. Misplaced it, huh? Um, when Gracious sends his servant to meet Proximo with the money at the foot of the, col- of the Colossus, um, the green leaves in Proximo's drink disappear and reappear between shots, which means that the shot was taken a few times. Um, the length of com- of Commodus hair changes in a few scenes, which means that those scenes were so- shot at a later date and then cut into uh, where the story fits. So they could have shot that uh, at week 52, and they cut it in where it should have been, and at week 17. Um, the masks in the play, in the play where... What the? What? Why is that even? This says the masks in the play where Cicero meets Lucilia. Uh, what's that? What's that even considered? What's that? Continuity of what? Uh, characters? Oh, okay. I guess they wouldn't wear one. All right, guys. Uh, so I'm getting a flag here. I'm gonna give it. Um, I'm gonna have to break this one up real fast. Okay. So. Gonna have to, um, let's see. I don't wanna make this one too much longer.
So let's let's get into because there's like I said, there's not many goofs, there's not many uh, mistakes made in this movie. This movie's great. That's why the director um, did a really good job. And that's another thing with movies, guys. You can go by directors all the time. If you know that somebody, um, if you know a particular director is directing something, you don't have to necessarily worry so much. Like Ridley Scott directed this, and almost every single movie Ridley Scott's ever directed in his life has been amazing. Has been amazing. So this is going to be the second segment. I did not, um, I did not end the other segment. I just kind of cut it off. I didn't let you guys know I was doing a second segment. I got to break these up. These are that first one was too long. Um, so this one we're going to get into the trivia of this movie. This movie is great. It's directed by Ridley Scott. Well, basically what I was trying to say in that last segment towards the end there was because uh, I was I didn't have enough time to record. Was that um, when you have a good director, you can pretty much just watch his movies and not worry about the actor or actresses that are in the movies because you just know that they're going to be good because of his track record. So let's just jump right into some of the trivia of this movie, Gladiator. Sadly, Oliver Reed, the uh, actor, died apparently while filming this, so he didn't actually get to see the um, end he didn't get get to actually see his movie. So towards the end of the movie, if you really look, you can see uh, they use CGI to recreate his face, and they used a body double to stand in for him. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix ad libbed ad libbed his scream. Am I not merciful? Connie Nelson wasn't expecting it, and her frightened reaction was very genuine. Five tigers were brought in for for the scene in the arena where Maximus fights the tigress of goal. The tigress of goal. A veterinarian armed with tranquilizer dots were present the entire film for safety's sake. Russell Crowe was kept at least 15 feet away from the tigers, which didn't make sense because I've seen a tiger jump on top of him. Um, Maximus' description of his home, specifically how the kitchen is arranged and smells in the morning and at night, was ad-libbed. It's a description of Russell Crowe's, Russell Crowe's own home in Australia. Um, Hans Zimmer's score is one of the best-selling movie soundtracks of all time. A score, a movie score is the music you hear in the background. Rid Ridley Scott resisted any suggestion that Maximus and Lucia should have a sexual relationship because it would decrease his need to be with his murdered wife and son. Russell Crowe was also against it, feeling that it wasn't in, the, in his character, in the person's character in the film. Um... From the outset, Ridley Scott made it quite clear that this Sword and Sandals movie would not feature any of the genre's cliches of people lounging around eating grapes and drinking from goblets. Uh, he intended to create a more realistic vision of ancient Rome. Uh, Communist was known as a gladi... As a gladi... Uh, I'm sorry. I should say it like this. Quote-unquote. Communist was known as a quote-unquote gladiator. Emperor. Sorry, I dropped the recording device there. Meaning, routinely appearing in the arena to take down wild animals, he charged Rome an exorbitant amount of money uh, for each appearance. He eventually devalued Rome, Roman coins and led to the fall of Rome. Oh my god, he would often take people with missing limbs or other disabilities into the arena, tie them together and club them to death intentionally, revered for his hunting and combat prowess prowess the populace turned against him wow 
That would that's a real thing that communists used to do. That's a real holy shit. The real life communist was the only Roman emperor emperor in history to fight as a gladiator in the arena. However, he did it several times, not just once. Also, he was not killed in the arena, but he was strangled in his dressing room by an athlete named Narcissus. Oh well, Narcissus. Yeah, Narcissus. That's exactly what his name is. Wow, that's weird. For the crowd scenes in the Colosseum, an additional real life extras and digital ones. Four hundred cardboard cutouts of spectators were also used. So once you guys try to find out where they did that one, um, in the iconic shot of Maximus' hand brushing the stalks of wheat, the hand actually belongs to Russell Crowe's stunt double Stuart Clark. What the fuck? Like, the dude couldn't even walk through a wheat field with his hands and... Seriously? Okay. Originally, Maximus was supposed to fight Proximo. Uh, the Colosseum... In the Colosseum, after being captured... Captured, probably as a... Pen... Oh, originally... Originally, Maximus was supposed to fight Proximo in the Colosseum after being captured as a blow to the communists. Oliver Reed's death uh, was, forced to re was forced to rewrite. So when Russell Crowe got captured, instead of um, him doing what he... Like, instead of him having to go through that test he went that everybody goes through to see if you're a fighter or a slave, he was supposed to fight... Oliver Reed's character, but by the time they got to shooting that scene character, that him in real life, Oliver Reed died. So they couldn't shoot that scene. They had to do a rewrite. Like modern-day athletes, ancient Roman gladiators did produce uh, product, oh, did product endorsements. The producers considered including this in the script, but discarded it, discarded the idea as unbelievable. Um, Jack Gleason modeled his character... Joffrey Baratheon and Game of Thrones after the Emperor Commodus. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Holy shit. Oh, shit, that makes sense. Wow. Oliver Reed's motiva main motivation for taking part of Proximo is because he fancied a free trip, quote-unquote, to London to see a couple of shows. So Oliver Reed's whole reasoning behind taking the role to... Proximo, that taking his role as Proximo was just so he'd get a free trip to London and see some shows. Okay, I doubt that. On visiting the real Coliseum, Ridley Scott remarked to production designer Arthur Max that it was too small, quote-unquote. So they designed an outsized Rome of the Imagination, uh, which was inspired by English and French romantic painters, as well as Nazi, Nazi, Nazi architect Albert Speer. Russell Crowe began shooting this movie a few months after The Islander 1999 wrapped. He gained more than 40 pounds for his previous movie and lost it all for this one. He claims he did nothing special beside normal work on his Australian farm. Joaquin Phoenix was incredibly nervous on set and would ask Russell Crowe to rough him up before their big scene together so he could psych himself up. Crowe was at a loss and went to Sir Richard Harris for advice. Mate, what are we going to do with this kid? He's asking me to abuse him before takes. He said, Harris thought for a while and then replied, Let's get him pissed! Over the course of several hours and several pints of Guinness later, Crowe and Harris relaxed the co-star. Because Joaquin Phoenix is what I said in, earlier in the podcast is someone that's considered a um, method actor. 
Um, Russell Crowe explained why he said yes to the movie. They said it's a hundred million dollar film. You're being directed by Ridley Scott. You play a roaming general. I've always been a big fan of Ridley's. So <laughs> that's <laughs> he's like that's all I need. That's all I needed to hear. Um, let's see. Let's see. The movie had surpassed it. Had surpassed its one hundred and three billion uh, million budget within two weeks of release. Wow. So it had a $103 million budget to make the movie, and within two weeks of its release in theaters and around the world, it made its money back. Um, over 27,000 pieces of armor were made spef- specifically for this movie. Um, Lou Ferrigno was originally cast as Tigress of Gaul, but was replaced by production Seven Ol Thorson, who had been lobbying hard for the part. Um, which, okay, sure. For the main protagonist, Maximus, Ridley Scott wanted a fresh face for the role, and Russell Crowe was cast. He was still, he was like 10 years into his career, I think, then. Um, the prop snow in the opening battle scene in Aftermath was credited by using little pieces of rolled-up paper. Wow. Holy shit. And the Spanish dub version, Maximus, I'm not even going to, never mind, because uh, I can't read Spanish. <laughs> uh, Gracias was originally supposed to die. Uh, this is included in the 1,001 movies you must see before you die. 100 suits of steel armor and 550 suits of polyurethane were made by Rod Voss and his company Armadillo. Uh the unique sprayed polyurethane system was developed by Armadillo and pioneered for this production. And it's probably used in a lot of other things today. Um, Kurt Douglas saw this movie because he was in the original Gladiator. Uh, well, Spartacus is what his movie was called, but it's the same thing. Uh, Kurt Douglas saw this movie when it first released and liked it, but said it was nowhere nearly as noble as Spartacus. He was a hater. Um, all the... Prop sets and costumes were manufactured by crew members due to high cost of unavailability of the items. Oliver Reed was asked by an insurance agent if he still drank. He replied, only at parties. The insurance is replied, how many parties do you go to? <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. Um, only the second DVD to support a 6.1 DTS sound mix to construct the arena where Maximus had his fist, had his first fights. The crew used basic materials and local building techniques to manufacture the 30-pound set mud brick arena. Uh, this is the only movie to feature Oliver Reed and Richard Harris. One of the first DVDs to be released in the UK to come with DTS sound over three over a three-month period. 27,000 component pieces of armor were made. When first announced, Arnold Schwarzenegger was being pursued to play Proximo. Um, Richard Harris was, was considered for the role Proximo. Uh, the movie is a fictional alternate ancient Roman history. The movie is a is fictional alternate ancient Roman history. Um, let's see. Cameos, Brian Blessed, a Colosseum spectator during the games. Blessed is best known for playing Roman Emperor Augustus in the acclaimed series I, Clados, in 1976. Augustus was the grandfather of Emperor Cladus, played by Derek Jacoby, Jacob, who portrayed Senator Gracious in the movie. 
the only Best Picture Oscar nominee that year to be nominated for Best Sound and Best Visual Effects. Um, and let's see, and one more. Let's see, let's find one more decent one. One more little piece of trivia. Mm. Oh, this, all right. This is it. This is what we're signing off on, guys. While the character Maximus is fictional or an amalgam of several historical figures as noted elsewhere in the trivia section, several characters and events in this movie are based in history. Emperor Marcus Aurelius was succeeded by his son Commodus in 180 AD. Female gladiators like the charioteers, charioteers, and the recreated Battle of Carthage were occasionally featured in games in the public arena. The real communist had emotional issues that made, it, that made him unsuited to rule. And like the movie character, he was quite athletic and appeared in the arena as a gladiator. He had an only sister, Lucia, who was caught plowing to dispose him. Lucia's son, Lucius Versus, the boy in the movie was named after his father. Finally, Emperor Commodus died by violence. He was strangled at the end of the 100 at the end of 192 AD, 192 AD by Narcissus, his trainer and sparring partner, who was recruited into a plot by several senators. So basically, what happened, guys, on that one is that guy Narcissus that they named. He was a like so basically like he trusted him he said that before he would fight in the arena for the first time he would pull this guy aside and say can you train me to fight in the arena they built a relationship together and he trained him to fight in the arena they became friends this that the other eventually the senate got to him and convinced him to strangle him so that fight so that fight between um russell crowe's character and commodus uh, shit like that would happen, except that's not how Commodus died. Commodus actually got strangled backstage by another gladiator that had more freedom than the average person. But hey, guys, that's it. I'm signing off. Um, I apologize if it sounded rushed at the end. It's because I didn't want to do our podcasts. I didn't want to um, do that to you guys because I'm not saying you guys don't have an attention span, but... Everyone has stuff to do, and I I understand if you don't want to sit here for an hour and listen to movies, but the next podcast I do, I'm going to do way more in-depth about movies, because movies are my favorite thing, and I think I'm going to go more off the top of the head with it, because it's just more genuine, it doesn't sound robotic, it's more like I'm talking to you guys and not reading to you guys, and there are a lot of, there's still a lot of random knowledge that I know about movies that I just haven't, like, um... I haven't got the chance to just talk about yet because I just wanted to cover some basic movies. Corinne, I apologize for not doing a great job on Just Like Heaven. I haven't seen the movie, so it's just hard for me to um, to read out about it because I can't describe those movies like I can describe those last two movies that I just talked about because I've actually seen those movies. So I understand the setup of the scenes and I can say I can I can more clearly talk about it. But when I when I'm reading the notes that they have and I'm like. I'm like, oh, that, that doesn't make sense to me because I, don't, I can't picture what's going on. So I will watch the movie. The next time I do a movie podcast, it's going to be 100% better in all aspects, especially on the ones that you guys um, suggest to me. Even if that means that I have to sit there and uh, go out on my own and watch the movie first and then, 
and then report back to you guys about it. So this is Derek the Deuce signing off. I appreciate everybody's time and patience with me today. I hope everyone's getting through this pandemic. The next podcast will actually be about this pandemic. So tune in, guys. I'm going to have some interesting information. Um, And again, God bless everyone that believes in that bullshit because I definitely don't. But hey, good for you. And again, thank you so much for listening. And this is Derek the Deuce podcast signing off.